don't know about you, but I was blessed by that worship. Amen. You know, it's amazing to think about the risen king and how he conquered death. We too can conquer whatever we're dealing with in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad times. The same Christ who rose from the grave, that power resides within us as believers, the same resurrection power. And the good news is the Christian, no matter what happens to you, we're going to be okay from an eternal perspective. Amen. So um, before we jump into our message today, I just wanted to uh, highlight a few things that the Lord is doing. Uh, we had several men that had been camped out at the church all week, so I wanted to recognize them. Uh, George and J.D. and um, Wayne. I don't know where Wayne's at. He must be in the back. And uh, we had some others as well. But basically these men uh, have been working on the fellowship hall. There's been about 20 years worth of wax coats. They've been stripping the floor, getting it ready, and uh, preparing the church for growth. So I just wanted to give them a hand for their hard work. Appreciate that. And uh, we had a group of ladies that were here yesterday working on the children's area. And we had a group of men... um, John and Jim White, they, they did something creative that uh, kind of innovative for a church. Many of you know about Smiley's Flea Market uh, just down the road. Well, they rented a booth so they could uh, give away free church stuff and tell people about Jesus. So they did that and were able to connect with a lot of people. And they uh, got some 15 telephone numbers to follow up with and invite to the church. And so as you can tell, the Lord is working. And it's great to see all the activity and the people who are on fire for the Lord, and that's just an encouragement. Uh, We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 today, and for those of you who have just started joining us, we've been covering the book of Philippians, which is really a book of joy. As Paul writes from a Roman prison under house arrest, he is telling us that no matter what the circumstances, you can have outrageous, contagious joy as long as you keep your focus on Jesus Christ. Your circumstances will change. Happiness comes and goes, but joy remains as long as you keep your focus on the true joy giver. And uh, many of you have, uh, by the show of hands, how many of you have watched the news at all this week? All right, we're not going to go there, but as I do my sermon, you're going to think I wrote it watching the news, which is not the case. Um, I had this message planned out well in advance before the news broke, but so don't read into the message thinking it was because of the news, because it's not. It, the good thing about preaching verse by verse is whatever the text is, we teach on that week. And uh, so people can't say it's, uh, you know, the pastors uh, had a special message because of whatever. Um, but it's, it's going to seem so relevant to what we're going through as a country. And today we're going to talk about how we, are, we have dual citizenship. Whenever you're a Christian, when, when you, whenever you say yes to God, He writes your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and you become a citizen of heaven. All the while, you're still a citizen here on earth, but in comparison of time, eternity versus here and now, even though you have dual citizenship, your real citizenship is in heaven because you're going to live there a lot longer than here on earth. And that's why the Bible calls us pilgrims, aliens, sojourners, strangers, because in comparison to eternity, even if you live to be 110 It's just like passing through. It's like going on a week vacation. You're just passing through. This world as we know it is not your home. He's preparing us a new heaven and a new earth so much better 
than what we currently know. And that's good news. Amen. So today we're going to talk about living like you're from another world because you are. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 3 and in verse, starting in verse number 17. It says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Listen to this. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, come back at any moment. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. And it says in the next chapter, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my beloved, aren't you glad that when God thinks of you, thinks of you as his beloved? My long-for brethren, my joy and my crown. So stand fast in the Lord. Now, it's humorous. Before we read verse 2, Paul, as I mentioned, sometimes uses what, what's called the sandwich method. You say an encouraging thing, and then you give a challenging thing. Look at verse 2. I employ you, Oda, and I implore Synthache to be of the same mind in the Lord. So here you have two ladies in the church that are feuding. You ever seen that happen in a church? He's like, but the interesting thing, he doesn't rebuke any theological difference. It's most likely a personality difference. They say, listen, ladies, work it out. Get along in the Lord. Verse 3, and I urge you also, true companion. We're not sure who this true companion is. But he says, help these women who labored with me also. It went in the gospel with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask and pray that you would speak to our hearts. Help us to live like we are from another world because we are. Our true citizenship is in heaven. So, Father, as we look at this, um, help us to see how it relates to where we're at now in 2016 in America. Help us to see how this will encourage us even though we may see the news or see what's happening, and help us to know that you've got greater plans ahead for us. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about, as I mentioned, living as citizens of heaven. And the first thing I want to bring to you comes from verse 17. Follow the example of those who have gone before us. If you look at verse 17, it says, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have for us a pattern. I heard this story about this young farmer boy, and he had a pet parrot. Anybody ever have a pet parrot before? They're, they're kind of fun. They talk a lot. So uh, his pet parrot loved to fly around. And during the day, the farmer boy would let the pet parrot out of his cage and out of the house. The pet parrot found a group of friends in a flock of crows, and that was his playmates. He would fly around with the crows, and then at nighttime, he'd come back and he would get in his cage and he would sleep. And the next night, he would do it again, hang out with the crows. So one day, the, the farmer, the, the young boy's dad, went out and he noticed a bunch of crows eating his corn. So he said, I'll show these crows a lesson. So he got behind a blind and he proceeded to take his shotgun out and he shot a few birds. 
And he went out to see how many birds, how many crows he had gotten rid of. And to his surprise, he had shot his son's parrot. And he was just like, oh, no, what am I going to say to my son? So he went to his son, and they had dinner. And he's like, Dad, I haven't seen my bird all day. Have you seen him? And he said, son, I have bad news to tell you. Your bird has died. And the son said, oh, Dad, what happened to my bird? What killed him? And he said, bad company. Bad company killed your bird. Didn't tell him the rest of the story. Um, Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And we're going to see in this passage how Paul says, listen, we've set a good example. There's other people out there who have set a bad example. And Scripture says in Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. So in other words, who you hang out with has an indelible impact upon your life. And throughout the years, I've noticed my progression of friends, and my wife laughs at it. When we first got married, I have certain friends that uh, she's like, what are you doing hanging out with these, these guys? They're a little, they're probably not the best influences on you. They're, they're still uh, acting like children. They're your friends. And I'm like, well, baby, and I went to school with them. They're this and that. And over time... As the Lord has matured me, I've noticed the friends have been a little different. The Lord has sent my way. And I was reading recently a guy named Jen Rohn. He's a motivational speaker. He he laid across something that I thought was quite interesting. He said that you are, as a general rule, you're the sum equivalent of your five closest friends. And he said, think about your five closest friends. You're going to be somewhere in the average of them spiritually. You're going to be somewhere in the middle of them intellectually. Um, you could even look at financially. You're somewhere in the middle of your five closest friends. And I began to think about that. And I'm like, wow, that it rings up pretty true. And the Apostle Paul would say when it comes to morality and character, be careful who's in your inner circle because they have a big impact upon you. And it can be for positive or for negative. And Paul says, follow my example. In other words, as I follow Christ, you should follow me. And that sounds almost arrogant, doesn't it? But the key is Paul doesn't claim perfection. He claims, as I follow Christ, follow me. And wouldn't that be the same true of us if we're following Christ and those examples people can follow us? You may not realize it, but all of you are leaders. All of you have influence. Those of you who are in a family... Or those of you who have friends nearby, people are watching your lives. And if we're going to live as citizens of as heaven, we have to follow the example of those who have gone on before us. And Paul lays a good example. He said, listen, follow my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So what I want you to do is think about the people who have gone on before you. Think about those in your family, those in your friends, who have laid out a good example. Allow them to serve as a pattern of the good things. Now, for those of you who don't have any good examples, well, you're in the right place because Arden First is full of amazing saints who have set an example. Uh, Lori and I often look at the people in the church and we're like, wow, we have so many people that, you know, we may be pastoring the church, but you guys are pouring into us. And in many examples, we follow you. And that's just an encouragement of how the body of Christ works. So here's a few tips if you want to write it down in your notes about choosing friends. The first thing um, I would say is value character above personality. 
Whenever you're young, what's usually the first thing you look at? Someone with a great personality. But as you grow older, you realize that personality is important. But sometimes, how many of you realize charm can be deceptive? Someone that comes on really charming, and then you get to know the real person, and you're like, that's not what I thought they were. So just, just a practical application, I've learned that character is more valuable than personality. Personality is great, but make sure the character is there. Second practical thing in surrounding friends is surround yourself with those you aspire to be like. Why would you hang out with people in your inner circle, friends, that you really don't aspire to be like? Now, it's different ministry, and that's where you've got to draw a conclusion. God has called us to minister to people, and we're to do that. People that are far from God, people that, you know, that we would not want to be like. But when it comes to friendship, when it comes to following the example, as Paul's talking about, following patterns of people, you want people in your life that you want to emulate. It's, is it easier to bring someone up or is it easier to pull someone down? What do you guys think? Probably pull someone down. I could, I could have someone, which I'm not going to call anyone from the audience. I could try to have someone on the bottom of the stage. And um, I, I'm not the strongest guy, but I could try to pull you up. But how many of you would say you could probably pull me down off this stage before me lift you up? And that's the way it works with friendships. That you want people that will pull you up and not bring you down. Live your life in such a way that after you've paid your time here on earth and you're gone, you leave a path for people to follow. Leave a path, not a pit. Leave a path, not a ditch for someone to fall in. And so many of us, when we look at our home of origin where we grew up in or the people around us, how many of you, there's pits all around you that people have left for you to fall into? And you know what Paul would say, we need to leave an example for people to follow. So that's part of living as a citizen of heaven. Number two, not only should we follow the example of those who have gone on before us, but we should pray for those who live only for this present age. Pray for those who live for this present age. Um, on your outline, you could put a void, but I put pray for. So what I want you to think about is people in this present age... When it comes to friendship, you don't want them in your inner circle. But you need to pray for them because many of them are not following after eternity. Many of them are not following after Christ. Look at verse 18. It says, Many of them walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So, for people who are anti-God, anti-Christ, don't want anything to do with God, pray for them. Because Paul says that, they're really not doing anything for God. They're really just living for this present age. And we'll read on in a little bit. Um, many of you uh, watch Sunday football. How many of you are planning on watching a game here? All right. Well, we got an illustration here, and it's really sad. I am a Cowboys fan, but Jimmy Johnson, who uh, used to be a coach of the Cowboys, um, unfortunately, even though he was very successful in the football arena, I came across a story that really uh, kind of shook me up. Whenever he was coaching on college level, he was married to, the, to this wife for 26 years. And whenever he decided to become the football coach of the Dallas Cowboys, he sat down and he fired his wife. And when I read that story, I was just like, what? And basically, according to him, he said, you know, I was married and my wife served me well for social functions and I wanted the parents to see that I was married and family life, 
But when it became prose, I, I needed to realize winning was number one. Winning was number one. So he divorced his wife, put her aside, and he decided that football was going to be number one. Now contrast Jimmy Johnson with Tom Landry. Any of you have heard of him? He was the former coach of Dallas, and I got a quote from him. He says, the thrill of knowing Jesus is the greatest thing to ever happen to me. I put God, I think God has been a very special place. And he expects me to use it for his glory in everything I do, whether coaching football or talking to the press. He said, I am always a Christian. Christ is first, family is second, football third. Now, which one of those two guys is living for the kingdom? Which one is just living for the present world? And we, I mean, those examples we have all throughout society. We have certain people that are just living for the now. The problem with the now is it's very short. Yes, you may have accolades. You may attain great wealth. You may have a lot of things that the world considers amazing. But if that's all you have, what are you going to have in eternity? What are you going to have when you meet Jesus face to face? And if you look back at this passage in verse number 19... It says, whose end is destruction. Now, that's really sad because God wants everyone to have life, right? We know from First Peter that he desires all, that he desires all to be saved. But God doesn't force himself upon anyone. You have to personally receive Jesus. He's not going to force himself on you. But unfortunately, if you reject Christ, the Bible says the end is destruction. Notice it says their God is their belly. Now, that sounds very humorous, right? But what he's saying is they live only to make themselves happy. They live only for this present world. And um, I could give a lot of examples, but you know, a lot of people are, are thinking about pleasures out, outside of marriage. That's popular in today's culture. You think about physical highs from drug addictions. You think about materialism, the pursuit of stuff to fill this void. And these things, you know, having things in the context are okay, and having intimacy within marriage is great but our world teaches go ahead and do whatever makes you feel good and paul would say that's living for your belly that's living for your flesh and god's got so much better plan for you notice it says their glory is in their shame have you ever met anybody that brags about doing horrible things they brag about things that they should be shameful um i, I remember a while back uh, it was on the oprah winfrey show and I can't remember the whole context, but it was talking about teenagers. And basically on the show, they, the thought was you should just let teenagers be teenagers. They're going to have desires. Just let them do as they feel. And um, this, this guy on the show was a Christian, and he said, uh, Oprah, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. He said, do you have a dog? And she said, of course I have a dog. And he said, well, do you let the dog relieve himself on your carpet? And she's like, absolutely not. And he said, well, it's just natural for the dog to relieve himself in your carpet, why don't you let him? If it's natural, you should let him. Because that was the argument of the show that, well, if this is natural, kids are going to be kids, just let them do what they want. And Paul would say, listen, that's glorying in something that God wants you to reserve for the right context. And um, for those of you who have worked in the marketplace, um, it's kind of interesting. I, I think I've shared this with you before, but... Working a few months in a car a lot, I, I got a good example of this, but how many of you have been around men who brag about how many relationships they've scored outside of marriage and kept an account of that? And it's just like, I mean, come on. But this is the world we live in. And it says their glory is in their shame. 
It says their mind is set on earthly things. Now, there's nothing wrong with being street smart and knowing what's going on in the world, but there is something wrong if that's all you focus on. And what Paul's talking about is people, all they can see is this present world, and all they care about is themselves. Does this remind you of some people you know? It's kind of quiet here. You're like, wow, that, this reminds me of my coworker, and this reminds me, well, this is the world at large. This is people who aren't following Christ. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. I thought this was very profound. He said, if you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought most of the next. It is sincere Christians, since they have largely ceased to think of the other world, that they have become so ineffective than this. Let me repeat that. Since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, they they have become so ineffective in this. In other words, he said... For those who have done the most impact in this world are those who have thought as citizens of heaven. Those who have thought of the next world. Those who have no impact in this world are thinking only of this world. So C.S. Lewis is saying, listen, if you want to make the most eternal good, if you want to have an impact on this present time, you have to have your eyes fixed on eternity. Because this world is passing away. It says, I once heard someone say, live your life in such a way that the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. All right, number three. Number three. You guys want to write that down. Number three. Stand firm in a world that is shaky and passing away. Now listen to verse 20. It says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. Imagine for people who live just for this present world. As I look back in the school I went to, uh, before I went to private school, I know of at least two people that have died in the school I went to and several that are in prison. And those people I'm referring to were the life of the party. But now they're, I mean, they're, they're just either dead or their life is very limited. And I look at other people that basically decided, you know what, I'm going to serve the Lord. And I look at the trajectory of their life, how, how different it is. Those who are the life of the party now aren't really enjoying the party at all. And those who put God first, their life is still bearing fruit. And as I read this uh, little background, it says their citizenship is in heaven. Philippi was located about 800 miles away from Rome. But it was still a Roman colony, a Roman citizen. And Paul was saying, listen, okay, you get this because you live 800 miles away from Rome, and yet you are a Roman colony in Philippi. You have Roman citizenship. So in the same way, you are very, very far away from heaven, but yet you're a colony of heaven on earth. And you're to live as though you're living in a colony of heaven upon earth. Wouldn't it be great if we lived in such a way as Christians, we were bringing heaven to earth in the way we lived our life? You know, in the Lord's Prayer where it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for the future fulfillment of God's kingdom. But what would it be like? If the kingdom that's inside of us, we began to live it out. And people began to see glimpses of the kingdom. When they looked at your life, they saw peace. When all the world was in chaos. When they looked into your eyes, they saw hope in a society that's hopeless. When they listened to your voice, they felt and they heard love in a world that is so devoid of it. What would happen if we as citizens of heaven got heaven out around us? Now, the world will never be perfect. We will never be perfect. 
But what I'm saying is, what if we gave glimpses of the hope of glory that's in us? Jesus says the kingdom is inside of you. That's true. We have a coming kingdom, and we have a kingdom inside of us, and our job is to get the kingdom out everywhere we go. Amen? So Paul saw himself and all Christians as pilgrims and aliens in this world. I, know, I love how in this text it says we eagerly await, in verse 20, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Greek, eagerly await is on tiptoes of anticipation. We are so excited. Think about the kid on Christmas Day. Kira's over here on the front row. She's already thinking about Christmas. Some of you, your grandkids are. You think about the excitement. Why, why are you so hopeful of Christmas? Because you're going to get some really good presents, you hope. Why are Christians hopeful of the coming of Jesus? It's because he's going to usher in a better world, a world far beyond our wildest dreams. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, heard neither has entered in the heart of of us, what God has in store for those who loved us. But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. We get glimpses through the Spirit of what He has for us. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, I brought her up a few weeks ago. I came across this story about her getting married. And for those of you who don't know uh, Johnny Tata, um, she's paralyzed and in a wheelchair. And um, she basically is just an inspiration to all who have read her books. But I wanted to read to you something about her wedding day. And for those of you ladies who have been married or for those of you who aspire to get married, I want you to listen to this. This really uh, shook me up. She says, she was basically her journal of what happened on her wedding day. She felt, says, I felt awkward as my girlfriend strained to get my, shift my paralyzed body into a cumbersome wedding gown. No amount of corsetting and binding my body gave me a perfect shape. The dress just didn't fit well at all. Then as I was willing into the church... I glanced down and noticed that I accidentally run over the hem of my dress, leaving a greasy tire mark on my dress. My paralyzed hands couldn't hold the banquet, the bouquet of daisies that lay off-center on my lap. And my chair, though it was decorated for the wedding, was still a big, clunky, gray machine with belts, gears, and ball bearings. I certainly didn't feel like the perfect picture bride in a bridal magazine. I inched my chair closer to the last pew to catch a glimpse of Ken in the front. There he was, standing tall and stately in his formal attire. I saw him looking for me, craning his neck and looking up the aisle. My face flushed, and I suddenly couldn't wait to be with him. I had seen my beloved. The love in Ken's face washed away all my feelings of unworthiness. I was a pure and perfect bride. And then she says, how easy it is for us to think that we are utterly unlovely, especially to someone as lovely as Christ. But he loves us with the bright eyes of a bridegroom's love and cannot wait for the day that we are united with him forever. And when I read that, it just, I mean, it brings tears to your eyes. She says, listen, I was paralyzed. My wedding dress didn't fit. I was hoping for the perfect wedding, but here I am in this wheelchair. I can't even hold the flower the flower's right, but I saw the love in Ken's eyes, and he didn't care about that because I was his bride. And when I, when I read this text, and I read that we're citizens of heaven, if you're like me, and, and I'm sitting in the pew, and I'm thinking through this, I think, man, I'm so unworthy. I, I, I'm just so unworthy that you know I'm a citizen of heaven, but I'm really living like I'm just a citizen of earth. We're all in that struggle. And I see the eyes of Christ looking at us, saying, you know what? I've forgiven you. You know what? Even though you're imperfect and you have blemishes, 
I see you as a radiant bride. And when you get the the love in the eyes of Christ, it makes you say, you know what? Thank God for grace. Because none of us can stand here all together, perfect, radiant bride of Christ. But because of Jesus, he's transferred his righteousness onto us so that every spot is taken away, every sin is covered, every blemish is removed. And through the cross, he sees us as a radiant bride. Amen. So that's really encouraging when I think about that. So stand firm in a world that's shaky and passing away. He said, live as a citizen of heaven. And finally, how to live as, as a citizen of heaven. Don't be so driven that you run over people along the way. We have all, we've all met super driven people. And if we're honest, sometimes we've been that way. Unfortunately, sometimes we get that way even in the church. Um, that we become so driven and so agenda focused that we run over people. Look at verse 2. He says, I employ you, Oda, and I implore Synthache to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, we don't know what, what was going on with these women. But obviously, behind the scenes, they either were getting ready to or had had a knockdown, drag out fight. Can we just be honest? Church is the greatest place on earth, but also it can be the hardest place on earth, right? Because you have relationships. And sometimes people get in fights, and that happens in every church around the world. So how do we, being so different, get along? How do we focus on what's truly important? How do we come together as a church? I've heard pastors jokingly say, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. And I'm like, well, if you don't have people, you don't have ministry, right? You should be doing something else. That's your philosophy. You know, if you think about Jesus, what was his first miracle? He turned water into wine, right? Now, I don't know about you, but if I was the son of God, I don't know if my first debut would be at a party, at a wedding, which could last up to a week. If you had a lot of money, it could last two weeks. Now, think about it. Jesus was never in a rush. You ever notice that in the Gospels? It seems like he's always about the Father's will. He's not in any rush, and no one can rush Jesus. You ever have people in your life that are so urgent, they want you to do it yesterday, right away, and you feel overwhelmed? It's like Jesus seemed like he was never in a rush. He he was always on the Father's timeline. And when people try to rush him or whatever, he just didn't allow that to happen. And I think we can learn from Jesus the fact that he was willing to take approximately a week of his time and love on people. And he wasn't in any rush. He spent time with people. I think we can learn from that. And these two women, if you're taking notes, Euoda, her name means prosperous journey. She wasn't acting that way, was she? Uh, Synthache, her name means pleasant acquaintance. So this is almost like calm Caroline has become crazy Daisy. I mean, she's just going off. Like this lady that's supposed to be calm and sweet acquaintance has just went off the AWOL. And if we're honest, that happens to us sometimes. We all have bad days. We all have challenges. But here's some keys. I just want to give you a few practical applications. This applies to your family. This applies to the church. This applies if you're in the marketplace, if you work with your employees. But it's this, focus on, number one, focus on what you have in common, not what makes you different. In a family situation, even though you can be from the same mom and dad, how many of you know your brothers and sisters are all different, right? Um, even though you may work in the same company and be having the same goal, you, you, all different types of personalities. And in the church, it's the most diverse place on planet Earth all different backgrounds. 
And what happens in each of those contexts when we focus on our differences, those divide us. And what we've got to do is focus on Jesus. As my dad always told me as a, as a young child growing up, keep the main thing the main thing. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. Amen? Number two, realize the differences between essentials and non-essentials. There are certain things when it comes to the church that are essentials. You know, these things we hold as the fundamentals of the faith. Like, the Bible is God's word. We're not going to compromise on that. Salvation is by faith alone. Um, the church is countercultural. Uh, we're not supposed to be just like the world. There's certain fundamentals that we, we, we hold to, and we realize that, you know, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, the doctrine that Jesus is coming back, these are essentials. But non essentials are things that seminarians and church people like to debate over, like certain differences in side issues. And my heart at Arden First is we all might have different opinions on certain issues, but let's, let's focus on essentials. Let's focus on winning people to Christ and making disciples. Let's focus on loving people. Let's not get off in left field or right field on side issues. Amen? That keeps the church united. Number three, and this is important in, in all areas of life, in friendships and in church, learn to appreciate people from all different backgrounds and experiences. We're all different. We all have different backgrounds. Learn to appreciate how people are different. Recently, I took a personality test, and the results surprised me. No, not really. But um, I sent it to my wife, and she said, I knew that about you. Um, it was one of those, like, 16personalities.com. Or I can't remember what it was. But basically, you take a personality test. And my personality, I mean, if you would guess this, I rank 99% on extroversion, which means I, I do better out in public settings than private settings. So... Uh, you'll find me at coffee shops studying because I, I'm good around people. I, I think better. Um, I really enjoy being around people, I guess, which is kind of good for being a pastor, right? But, um, and, but on, as I read the different profiles of different personalities, it began to make me realize, Timothy, everyone's so different. And you've got to learn to appreciate how we're different and how all the different personalities come together. Because if it wasn't for you details people... Us extroverts would be in trouble because we'd have great ideas but no plan. I mean, we'd have no way to execute it. And for those of you who have all the details, those are great, but you wouldn't have the big picture of how that fits in. And um, it works that way in a family. It works that way for those of you who are in the marketplace. Uh, some of your employees may seem out there, but they serve a purpose, right? And in the church, we're all different, but we serve a purpose. Number four, keep your focus on Jesus. That will help you in any case. It's just my focus is Christ-centered. I don't get sidetracked on issues. I, I keep my focus. And finally, this is really practical. Um, this would have helped Yoda and Synthaki is stay on the mission. It's easy when you get sidetracked by certain things. Stay on the mission. I, I once heard Andy Stanley say, and it really stuck with me, he says, we date the models, but we marry the mission. In other words, every church has programs and models and objectives. Those things we're not married to. We're married to the mission. The mission is to reach people for Christ. The mission is to make disciples. The models is how you do that. And that changes with every decade. It changes with every culture. The, the truth never changes, but how you present the truth has to change so people can receive the truth. Are you guys with me? Um, Fifty years ago, how they did church wouldn't relate to how they do church now. Um, the, the way that certain things operated, it just it, things have changed. I've heard someone once say, "If it do, if it's not broken, don't fix it." 
If we really believed that, we'd be in horse and buggy, we'd be cooking over open fire, and uh, we'd be growing stuff out in our garden if we really believed that, because that, that worked in that day. So what I would say, looking at this, it says, look at back in verse number 3. It says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Now, don't you love that Paul allowed women to help him with the gospel? We need men and women to step up. Every church needs men and women. And he says, these women, they may be at disagreement with each other, but these women help me in the gospel. They may be having a personality conflict, but bring them back in because they're, they're useful for the gospel. Just as a final close, I want you to think about it. All of us have certain things that can get us sidetracked. All of us do. And what we need to do is when we see someone going off to the side, we need to be like what Paul said. Hey, why don't you help these ladies that are having a little tip? Bring them back on. Don't rebuke them sharply. Don't, don't lay the hammer on them. But just bring them back in because they're vital. And here's the important lesson we can learn. God can use us all even in spite of our flaws. Aren't you glad about that? Because these two women are having, obviously, a tift in the church. And Paul said, these women are vital. Bring them back in. They've helped me with the gospel. So I want you guys to think about it. We need to live as though we're from another world because we are. And just as a, as a take-home truth, I want you guys to think about that. When I go to work on Monday, for those of you who are retired, when, when I do whatever I do during the week, with my, my kids and grandkids and doctor's appointments. What would it look like to live as a citizen of heaven? What would it look like, even though I'm down here on earth, my eyes are fixed to another reality that's coming? Amen. So my action step for this week, I want you guys to think about this. Make a list of my top five friends. How will these friends help me influence my life five years from now? If you want to determine the trajectory of someone's potential future, um, our friends have a big influence on that. And Paul said, follow my example, follow my pattern. So we need people that we can emulate. And for those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, pray for them. Um, we, we need to think about how we can reach them and pray for them, but don't allow them in your inner circle. Uh, preview for Wednesday night, for those of you who haven't been joining us, We've been going through the book of Genesis, and it's, it's been very excited to talk about their stories. And we talked about Adam and Eve, how the perfect couple who had it all together messed it all up. So we're going to talk about another story of Cain and Abel and how sometimes relationships can go south and how to work through that. So I want to encourage you guys that God has great things in store for you. Live as a citizen of heaven because you are. Let's pray. Father, your word is powerful. And Father, even as I read that text, um, sometimes I'm earthly-minded. Sometimes I don't think about heaven as I should. And Father, I pray that I would embrace the reality that I'm here on earth, but I'm also a citizen of heaven. Father, right now I pray that you would help us. And Father, as we realize so much in our world is, is going crazy, Lord, I haven't seen so much unrest in our culture but Lord, help us realize that we're not from this world. This world we're just passing through. We may have originated here, but that's not our destination. We may be from here, but we're not landing here. We thank you that our, our true citizenship is in heaven. And God, we eagerly wait to save you. If there be one here today while we're praying that has never made the decision except Jesus, 
if you've never become a citizen of heaven. Just right where you're at, just lift up your voice to God. Just say, God, I realize I need you in my life. I believe that Jesus Christ, He died for my sins and He rose again. and I've never received Him into my life. So right now, right where you're at, just say, Jesus, I ask You to come into my life. I ask You to forgive me of my sins. I give You my life. I make You my Lord and Savior. Father, for those rest of us who are citizens of heaven, help us to live like we're from another world. Because since we've been born from above, that's our new reality. We love You and thank You. In Jesus' name. Amen. This time, if you'd stand, we're going to have our closing hymn of invitation. And if you guys have anything you'd like to pray about, we'd like to pray for you. If you guys would like to join the church, if you have any health concerns, we'd love to meet you at the front.